welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that brings back all those movies and TV shows you love as a kid and talk about them and pick them apart and make you really think, was that shit any good? <laughs> but yeah, so we review movies and TV shows from our nostalgic younger days and we also do recastings of either those movies, those TV shows, or whatever the fuck we want. Like today, we are doing a very special out of this world episode. We are going to review the 1985 film Explorers. We're going to review Star Trek The Next Generation. And we are going to do a casting of the Extended Universe Star Wars books, collectively known as the Thrawn Trilogy. So let's get diving into it. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm really excited to have this episode. This is the most work I think I've ever put into an episode. Mostly because I made you read the books for this. Exactly. So just to kind of dive in a little bit, just to explain a little bit about the casting that we're doing, there's a whole bunch of extra books in the Star Wars universe. I think they're called the Legendary Series or, or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. They were all considered canon right up until the point where Disney bought them. And then when yeah. Disney bought Star Wars, they said that all those books books, they're its own little universe, and what we're going to do is going to be the official canon, which has been well documented on my social media feed that I hated that. <laughs> I have not been happy about it, and we'll talk about that more when we get to the casting. But that book series, I had never read before, and you really wanted to do a casting, and so you basically told me, Adam, we're doing this, and you better read these <laughs> books. And so, I am a very slow reader, but I spent the last like couple months and read 1,300 pages, and now we are set. And here we are. But the very first thing we're going to do is talk about The Explorers, and that movie was from 1985. That's a fantastic year, John. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of things that happened that year. I'm not going to say what the top grossing movie of that year is, because it's a movie that we will probably cover here eventually, but we'll talk about Best Picture winner from the Oscars that year was Sidney Pollack's Out of Africa. Oh, okay, yeah. Pretty good movie, but, you know, a little more serious. Not one you need to uh, watch more of me more than once. Probably not one we're going to cover. No. I don't think it hits our nostalgic <laughs> <laughs> love. No, not so much. Oddly enough, the Billboard year-end top 100 single of 1985 is a song that's had a resurgence in the last couple years, and that's Careless Whispers by Wham. <laughs> song. A couple of other interesting facts about 1985. That is the year our host Adam was born. Yeah, that's right, baby. 1985, the best year ever. <laughs> a couple of other things of note. The Coca-Cola company introduced New Coke and then promptly took it off of the market, <laughs> which incidentally resulted in a huge influx of profits when they reintroduced the original Coke Classic or what they called Coke Classic. Do you think that was a conspiracy or you know what? Do you think they legitimately wanted New Coke to do well? There's so many conspiracy theories about that. I don't even want to touch on it. But interesting thing, New Coke wasn't actually discontinued until 2002. Oh shit! Then what, how come I don't remember drinking it? They must not have been selling it in the U.S. It must have been huh. selling somewhere else, but they didn't discontinue it until 2002. Damn, that lasted longer than Surge, and I loved Surge. <laughs> <laughs> For you wrestling fans, WrestleMania 1 debuted at Madison Square Garden, and in the main event, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T defeated Paul Omdorf and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Nice. Last couple of things, uh, 1985... 
saw Aretha Franklin's voice was legally declared one of Michigan's natural resources. <laughs> natural resource, not a national treasure? Yeah, their national resource. And lastly, 1985 was the directorial debut and the film scoring debut of Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, respectively, on a little film called Pee-wee's Big Adventure. All right, that is a good year. Let's get into the explorers. Explorers from 1985. It stars Ethan Hawke, River Phoenix, R.I.P., and a kid named Jason Presson. We all know Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix, but we haven't really heard of Jason Presson. I don't think he hasn't really done too much after this film. No, he had a small bit part in Gremlins 2, the new batch, and then he pretty much disappeared. And I actually tried looking for any indication of what he might be doing nowadays, and I found nothing. Well, I mean, at least spawned one major star and one fairly big star until he OD'd and right. <laughs> died on us. But this movie was directed by Joe Dante, who I think has he has a couple other directing credits that we will definitely eventually be getting to, including Inner Space, Gremlins, Small Soldiers, The Burbs, Piranha. And then he's done some like TV stuff that I didn't know as well. But particularly, I love the movie Inner Space. Oh, so I yeah. really hope we get to that one at some point. Yes. And I just wanted to definitely bring this up because I thought it was a really cool tie-in to what we're doing for our TV show is the music for Explorers was done by Jerry Goldsmith. Also was the composer for The Next Generation, for Star Trek The Next Generation, which we're going to be covering. Oh, incidentally, and I don't think people realize this, the theme from Star Trek The Next Generation actually comes from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, okay. Jerry Goldsmith created a new theme for Star Trek The Motion Picture, and that theme actually came from that. So he didn't write it specifically for the TV show. They basically used the theme from the original motion picture from 1980 or something like that and incorporated that as the new theme for the TV show. But very cool that you know we have a tie-in, not just outer space sci-fi tie-in, we've also got the same composer in both what we're covering and re- uh, reviewing today. So let's get into the movie. We start off with a aerial shot going into like kind of the clouds and then we get like this cheesy 80s Explorers title card pops in and we immediately cut to this sci-fi movie is playing on TV. We see a boy is kind of sleeping in bed. He obviously fell asleep with this sci-fi movie playing on. You can tell kind of from context around his room, uh, you see a bunch of sci-fi stuff, a lot of like space stuff. This kid loves space. Uh, his name we find out is Benjamin, played by Ethan Hawke. And I believe this was Ethan Hawke's first movie. That would make sense. He looks so young. Cut back to kind of this aerial shot again. So we are now seeing that Ethan Hawke is flying in it. Ben is flying. He's having a weird dream. He's flying over a city and then the city kind of becomes this electronic Tron-like graphics. Like, they're terrible 
graphics for its time. It's fine. That didn't bother me. We then see it looks like a kind of like a computer circuit board is basically exactly what it is. But it really didn't make much sense. Like you start off going into like <laughs> in the first like two minutes. I was like, the fuck is going on? I, I've seen this movie a couple times. Uh, I definitely hold it into a nostalgic spot, but I didn't remember like beat for beat for this film like I have with some of our other ones. Right. So it was kind of fun to kind of go back and, and revisit it and just kind of like fill in all the gaps from the actual film as opposed to just like the couple moments. And and obviously we'll get to those. So he's flying around in this dream. He looks at like these computer-like graphics and he wakes up and immediately he starts writing it down. He's drawing what he saw in the dream. He walkie-talkies his friend Wolfgang, played by River Phoenix, who is this very nerdy science guy, which I love. Yeah. When I think of River Phoenix, there's really, I guess there's two roles to think of, young Indiana Jones, but really it's Chris Chambers from Stand By Me. Yeah. And watching him play the badass in Stand By Me and then just kind of contrasting it with this super nerd, ultra mega super science guy yeah. in Explorers is just kind of fun. Yeah, it's a nice contrast. So they're kind of walkie-talkieing, and basically we just kind of find out that Ethan Hawke wants to figure out what he was dreaming about, and he's going to get the help from Wolfgang. Uh, Ethan Hawke's mom comes in and turns off the TV, then immediately do a cut from turning off the TV to Ben getting punched in the face by a bully at school. Right. I liked the edit, honestly. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool and different. Very contrasty going from like the black of the TV black screen to very bright day punch in the face. Uh, I, I forgot that there was a bully element in this movie because it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it comes back briefly not long after this scene that introduces our next new character, but then doesn't come back at all. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but... This bully is beating the shit out of Ben. We also kind of get what I kind of like is it's not just beating up Ben because he's a nerd. He's kind of a sassy nerd. He's kind of a stubborn, yeah. sassy guy. He was making fun of the kid saying he had elephantitis and shit like that. I mean, I don't like people calling me stuff when I don't know what it is. <laughs> Elephantitis is when something gets bloated and ugly like your ass. <laughs> and so, I mean, the kid, not to say rightfully, was beating him up, but he was at least provoked. Right. He's a bit of a smart ass. He's, yes, a smart ass. That's exactly what it is. So this bully is just kind of beating him up, and then a different kid ends up standing up for Ben and basically kicks the bully off of him and then starts running away and whatnot. And here we kind of start the friendship of Darren, who was that other kid who stands up for Ben and Ben. Kind of become friends from bullying times. <laughs> And I have to say, I actually really like the character Darren. And I really like that actor. And it really kind of, yeah, it really kind of sad that he didn't continue. I agree. Uh, Jason Presson. And yeah, you're right. Darren had, he had a little bit more depth. I would have loved to even go into further depth with him in this next very, the very next scene, kind of Ethan Hawke is, you know, thanking him for standing up for him. And he kind of wants to, he wants to push being friends with him. Right. So he goes with him to his home and we see that Darren is kind of from the wrong side of the tracks. He's uh, from a poor family. Family. He's got some father issues and that his dad has no job. He might be an alcoholic. We didn't get any like he beats him kind of stuff with it, which is good. I thought they were going to go there. No. But yeah, he's kind of like almost he's almost like similar to River Phoenix's character in Stand By Me. Right. He's kind of got little elements of that, which I thought was kind of interesting. So they're kind of getting this budding friendship. And I agree. Like I thought Darren was a really cool character. I would have loved to go further. But anyway, instead of hanging out at Darren's 
Wolfgang's house, they go over to Wolfgang's place. And we meet Wolfgang, who is apparently in a very big family, a very big German family. They go down to Wolfgang's lab. And here we kind of like really are starting to, to meet Wolfgang and see that he is this big nerd. He has a lab in a basement. We do kind of need to mention Wolfgang's parents. The mother was played by an actress named Dana Ivy, but the father was played by an amazing character actor. I don't even know if I'd call him a character actor. He's just a good actor, James Cromwell. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen him in a hundred things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and his part's very small in this film. But so Wolfgang and Ben want to recreate the circuit board image that he had in his dream. And so they kind of build a circuit board based off his dream. And then they put it into a computer and it asks for coordinates. And honestly, that whole little scene just didn't make any damn sense to me of how they immediately could transfer their dream into a computer. It went really quick and didn't make any damn sense. But okay, they hook it up into a computer and it asks for coordinates and they put some in and then shit just goes crazy. And you have no idea what the fuck is happening. All these books that are around have now these massive holes in them. Like shit's flying off the shelves. Stuff's going crazy. And you thought like, holy crap, did like someone just shoot like a laser bullet or something? <laughs> right. No idea. That's kind of like it. They're, they want to rework it and try and figure out what the heck that is. But we at least have established like that dream meant something and something's going to happen from it. We then cut to it's a little bit later. Ben is watching some sci-fi stuff on TV and he wants to go out and look at the stars. And honestly, it was very um, continuity was way off for, in my opinion when he was cutting to the stars. You could see the sky a little bit from when Ben got up onto his roof to go look at the stars and you couldn't see any stars because obviously it was shot in LA. Right. Then they do a POV shot of kind of like him looking up into the sky and you see a fuck ton of stars as he's like, <laughs> quote unquote, looking at the stars. And so I, I will say I spent a little bit of time trying to figure out where this movie was set and if it was going to be set anywhere near Los Angeles, I was going to pull shenanigans on it and be like, <laughs> there is no way you can see that many stars from this sky. There's some interesting things that kind of happen with this movie. First of all, according to something I read, the film was actually never finished. Huh? Oh. The studio decided to move up the release date and basically at some point just said, all right, you're finished. Go ahead and release what you have at this point. Huh. According to an uh, interview with Joe Dante, the director, the original cut he did was three hours and 15 minutes. So there's probably a lot more to the story elements that we missed because there are some weird, I don't know, kind of weird jumps and things seem to move yeah. at weird paces in certain places. There's, there's a lack of explanation yes. all, a lot in this movie, just like throughout. Well, and it, it's hard to say because this movie was supposed to be billed as the big summer blockbuster uh, oh. for the studio for this time. And, and obviously it didn't deliver. I mean, it was basically, it was a flop. Flopped at the box office. It flopped critically. It was obviously very popular with kids and has kind of built a cult following since then. But at the time, it was just, it did not deliver what it was supposed to. Gotcha. It sounds about right. It's not like, it's not a blockbustery film by any means. It doesn't, it doesn't have that feel. Right. Like even for a kid's blockbuster. So Wolfgang ends up calling Ben. Walkies him over and says, hey, come back over. I want to keep investigating this stuff. And we kind of find out that whatever this program has created, it's an invisible ball. Okay. It's an invisible ball that their computer can kind of control and they can make it bigger, make it smaller. They can move it around apparently. While they're doing that, the cat jumps on the keyboard and it goes fucking haywire. Yep. It's going nuts. It's going, it's just causing havoc in his basement and all around town. Darren just kind of happens to be hanging out outside. It doesn't make any sense, but he's <laughs> there and he comes over too. Maybe they gave him a walkie talkie at this point and he's friends too. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We cut to the next day and they are outside. They want to test this 
this in a safer environment. They start playing with it out in the open and accidentally they put Wolfgang in the bubble. He's kind of like wandering around and Ethan Hawke is trying to do some settings and they enlarge it and they put Wolfgang in it and then he just starts traveling like everywhere. He's like flying around and then he goes underground. Like it's just, it's an unstoppable ball. And the way he puts it is when you're in the ball, you don't feel any inertia. It's like you can accelerate and decelerate at any speed and you're not going to feel it because this ball kind of like it breaks all the rules of, of physics really yeah and and the the very first thing that these guys do once they realize that they can fit themselves in it uh, after they get wolfgang back is they go peep on a girl <laughs> ben wants to peep on the girl that he likes and her name is Lori swenson played by amanda peterson who i probably best know her from can't buy me love uh, she hasn't really done too much but a very cute girl uh and i bet if i was in elementary school i would have probably had a crush on her too she looks very like girl next door yeah so ben wants to creep on her and so he does and they kind of accidentally turn it off basically this bubble that they create is indestructible it has no inertia inside of it it's like an unstoppable force basically but anytime that they have problems with it or if it goes haywire they tend to just like pull the plug and then it just stops and then they fall to the ground yep (laughs) but they do that and ben falls to the ground and he kind of has to awkwardly tell the girl that why he was outside her window a funny little scene one thing that i thought was the most incredible non-believable thing maybe in the entire movie was when they were out in the open when they were outside running around and like creating this ball they had to do it with a computer and they didn't have laptops back in the day and apparently wolfgang set up his entire computer to run off of a nine volt battery are you kidding me <laughs> the computers at those times needed much more power like are you fucking kidding me a nine volt battery could handle his computer bullshit i'm calling shenanigans and that's why this movie sucked (laughs) i'm just (laughs) they then decide that they kind of want to build a ship and so they're going to a junkyard that darren knows they get past a dog with a cute scene of it chewing bubble gum i thought that was kind of funny throwaway scene but fun and we just kind of get some more character building moments where we see ben is just kind of looking around at this junkyard he's kind of like just in awe he's really excited about building a spaceship he's excited about stuff he's excited about everything he's kind of like the blind optimist and wolfgang is the realist and everything has to be grounded in science and darren is just the the badass i guess (laughs) but they find a tilt-a-whirl kind of like seat thing i I don't even know what the hell to call it they you know what those those tilt-a-whirls where you get in and then you're kind of like spinning around it's like one of those big seats that can fit like three or four people in them yeah it looks like sort of looks like a big half clamshell or something yeah yeah exactly as i lift my hands for the audience who can't (laughs) see me Yeah, I'm sure they all could tell, John, what you were talking about. <laughs> we get that. And we kind of then cut to a montage of them late at night and then also entering the day back and forth as them as they're prepping this spaceship that they're going to basically use their big ball, make it big enough to fit all of them in it so they can then fly into or, you know, around or wherever they want to do uh, into space, basically. The montage was kind of like a, it wasn't like a classic, like, hey, we're building a spaceship montage, but it was kind of cute. It went back and forth between them at school being tired and then up late putting things together. Yeah, it was a fun little scene. Uh, and this was such an 80s school movie thing where in one of the scenes that they were 
shown as just tired and sleepy during the day at school one of the teachers was handing out tests that he had done and as he's dropping it off on each person's desk he says good bad good you suck you sucked again like he's telling the entire class just how shitty or how well everyone did and like there is no way that would fly i wouldn't imagine could you i mean you you i know you're a music teacher and not you don't really do those kind of written tests maybe all that much but like i have a feeling they would not allow teachers to demean students like that nowadays no it's actually illegal it's illegal it's, to, <laughs> it's illegal to share students grades with everyone in fact if you um and i just remember this from having taught high school if you were to post everyone's grades you had to do so using everyone's student number not their oh. name so that everyone could keep some sort of record of anonymity so yeah it is it is illegal basically to tell everyone how you did okay. i mean the, the student could do it when they when they got it but uh it was yeah. illegal for the teacher you can't hurt anybody's feelings anymore yep but one thing i would definitely want to bring up about this spaceship is i mean it's a cheesy shitty kid made spaceship and it's not even really a spaceship it's just like a a seat for them to put the bubble in that they can fly around with that so it's not like the spaceship is propelled by anything on its own but to me that tilt-a-whirl spaceship craft is a pretty iconic spaceship like it's no millennium falcon it's no starship enterprise but it to me it's like that the look of that ship i put it up there with a lot of different cool 80s looking ships like it's it's you know as high as like you know an airwolf kind of thing honestly or, or better than that it is a fun looking vehicle it looks like something that would have been so much fun to build and ride as a kid yeah i would have loved to do that that sort of building together it looked Frankenstein, but still cool at the same time. I mean, it, it, it 100% looked like something you and your friends could make in your fucking backyard. Yes. And only if you had a super science floating bubble thing, you could have done the same thing that they did. Exactly. It's something that's kind of like, I guess, burned in my head as, oh, that is, that's up there with a lot of other cool ships. And whenever I see it, like, it just kind of, it takes me to a happy place. Yeah. So at the end of like their building montage and whatnot, Darren brings over a beer. Here they are drinking a beer and christening the ship i thought it was cute they ended up christening the ship the thunder road based on the bruce springsteen song <laughs> which i i don't know made no sense to me but it came from nowhere yeah if it would have been something that like had something to do with outer space or something else that would have made some sense but it's just like they we didn't talk about bruce springsteen in any other scene the song they didn't even use the song in the fucking soundtrack yeah like that would have made a whole bunch of sense if like they were listening to the song at some point while they were building it or some shit like that but they didn't all of a sudden it's just like it's the thunder road yeah okay i didn't know you like bruce springsteen i didn't know you like that song maybe it'll come back for some reason oh no it doesn't maybe it should have happened someplace subtly earlier oh wait it didn't okay <laughs> fine right whatever <laughs> they take it out and their maiden voyage is just to kind of fly around this suburban town i i don't even know if they we would say where this town is or anything like that you actually you do find out sort of in the next scene i'm going to talk about that because it references something Okay, and in the next scene, so they're flying around and just kind of wreaking havoc a little bit in that they go to a drive-in. They actually, they ask, well, where should we take this thing? And someone says... At the drive-in. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is definitely an 80s movie if drive-ins are still a thing. And that's where the cool people are. So they go into the drive-in. 
They're just kind of like accidentally flying in front of the screen. Just kind of funny of them not really being able to control it. They end up flying it through the concession stand. We see the bully there randomly. He's there for some reason. It's like the last time I think we see him at all. And it didn't really make any sense. It's not like we even like got any closure from him. But So anyway, he's there. But because of all that insanity, there's a police helicopter that kind of catches up to them. So this police helicopter finds them. And they're like, obviously, it looks like a UFO. The boys, you can kind of see them in the the windows and they're all wearing like these air masks to to be able to breathe some air and they look like crazy aliens and it freaks out one of the the helicopter cops so they kind of fly away really fast at one point they kind of lose control you're getting like these weird letters that are like popping up on their screen so it's not like just them that's kind of controlling this thing something freaky is happening it's like non-english letters it's obviously something that you know maybe maybe an alien language is popping up on their screen okay they end up going really high up into the air and so i think it kind of like helps bring the idea of like oh shit if we wanted to we can take this thing into space right wolfgang uses some tricks and kind of like tricks the computer into getting basically getting them back down so i'm gonna jump in here the scene that kind of follows this is when the helicopter lands and uh, the weird th- the one thing that i thought was weird was and i get i guess they kind of reference it is when the boys land it's night but when the helicopter lands it's day yes oh god yes i thought the- i saw the same thing i was like there's no way that they were flying around all fucking night in that helicopter right so i mean i mean you could maybe you could say that they were flying around then they went back to refuel and they kept looking as they were trying to look for it but you're making a lot of assumptions so at the end when the guy eventually does get out of the helicopter he looks at a newspaper uh, which references uh, kind of the crazy stuff that happens in the newspaper it mentions the town kingston falls kingston falls is the town where gremlins takes place oh shit oh that guy one of the the helicopters guy uh the helicopter police guy who kind of goes and investigates he was also in gremlins yes is he playing the exact same character is this a tied in universe holy shit john did we just expand the gremlins explorers universe the don Dante verse, I guess, because Dante, yeah. Joe Dante also directed that. Oh, wait, wait, it's Dick Miller. No, he played a different guy. He was a different guy in Gremlins, but he was in both movies. Uh, so apparently this city has a guy who is in Gremlins, but also a helicopter cop who look exactly alike and are probably not related right. um, because they have totally different names. But anyway, so we, we blew up the Dante verse completely. But that's still interesting. I like I like it when there's those Easter eggs. Yes. Uh, so we kind of cut back to the boys and Ben is super excited. Like he's super excited that everything flew around and he wants to do more. He immediately wants to like go back out there and start flying. And Wolfgang and Darren are and they realize that they just almost died. And so they're like, nah, fuck this. We're cool. We just want to be done. But that cop who is played by Dick Miller, who is also in Gremlins, he wants to keep investigating and he kind of keeps looking around. He even at one point he even brings up that he had dreams it was like something he saw out of a dream a long time ago because dreams are such a a, a tie-in here i'm like what the fuck is that i feel like there's something they didn't explain with this character yeah that they must have left on the cutting room floor Exactly. The story here was obviously way more intricate than probably it needed to be for something like this, which left with more questions than answers. And because now I want to know, okay, is this sort of like, obviously these aliens had tried to contact someone before yeah and maybe he was the recipient and he couldn't do it and now they finally found the right person but he still remembers those dreams and yeah it's very strange like why they set that up and then i guess they just kind of left it out but he brings up these dreams and then we kind of cut to ben again who's having another flying dream this time it's a shared dream and so his other buddies are in the dream with him and we're kind of seeing more computer parts 
we have to remember it and, and figure it out when we go over there. So after that, they're all like, oh shit, okay, we want to keep working on this. And so they rework the circuit board with this new extra part that is going to apparently help them control it better or whatever the fuck that they want to do. <laughs> we see the cop who's still kind of persisting and he finds the Thunder Road. He goes and finds it in the creek bed where they landed and he finds Ben's jacket, who very stupidly has his name and entire address written in his jacket. All right. And so he goes off to find Ben at his place and he confronts him ben just basically ends up running away so he runs away he's going off to the thunder road the ship the other kind of kids are all going and they end up kind of taking off right in time as the cops there they, they get off in time like it this, the storyline with the cop really is starting to bother me just thinking about it <laughs> because I think I think this is the last shot that we see of the cop. It is. And, and, and it's like, where does it where does it go? How does he tie in? This makes no fucking sense. We don't get any closure with him. Like, I don't get it. And the weird thing is, is even though he's chasing them, once they go up, he goes... Yeah. Good for you, kid. Exactly. He was happy to see them. Something happened there with him. Like yes. he obviously tied in with this. And probably the way that you put it was they tried to contact and they were contacting him as a kid. And then he never made it happen. But now he's happy that the other kids are making it happen. But like, but what the fuck? Are you, that's, you have to go through all these assumptions and you really have to like pick apart this puzzle to try and figure this out. They obviously left a lot more on the cutting room floor than I wish they had. Yes. Now the kids are going up and they want to try and see if, you know they want to go out into space they very easily just kind of fly out they don't even use air masks so i guess this bubble also provides enough oxygen for them or it's airtight and so they have enough oxygen in the bubble i think is kind of what it is i know they have the air tank with them they have the air tank with them but they're not wearing the masks this time i know that's they, true. they were all wearing like the <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they just released the air in the bubble because it's airtight. I don't know. Fuck it. It's a movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because but, movie. So they're flying out into space and they get basically kind of eaten by another ship, if you will. Kind of like tractor, not even a tractor beam, but they're just kind of like the other ship is kind of like taking control of their little ship and their computer. And it kind of like brings them into their own, which in 1985, they didn't show that those kids like went light years away or anything. Like right. that ship was probably like not too much farther past the moon. Right. In 1985, we still had some pretty fucking good telescopes, and I am certain someone would have seen that fucking ship <laughs> out in space. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> well, and this this is the point in the movie that it takes a little bit of a weird turn, and it loses me a little bit. It's kind of it's kind of is in two different. It's a movie split, yeah. Really, where the first half is like all these kids trying to like figure out the science and, and this this ball thing and figuring out this stuff. And then it's the second half is here they are on this spaceship and we get like an alien adventure kind of thing. Yeah. The kids end up leaving the Thunder Road and they go off to go explore the ship to, to try and meet the aliens that brought them in. They end up falling down these tubes, these like tube slide things, and they all get separated. Basically, it's Wolfgang and Ben in one tube and, and Darren gets split up into another. They're kind of just like going off in different sections of the ship. The design of the ship does not make me feel like the these aliens are higher beings <laughs> just because <laughs> right. it does it doesn't seem efficient very humid swampy yeah there's fog everywhere in a spaceship doesn't make any sense but at one point ben and wolfgang run into this big mechanical spider thing uh you get this little like arm like thing with like flash bulbs on it almost taking pictures of them you can't really tell it's just flashing light at them going crazy <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
And then these two smeller things come out and start sniffing them everywhere. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Like those little spots are moments that I definitely like wholeheartedly remembered and be like, oh yeah, I remember thinking that was cool and kind of cute or whatever as a kid when I watched this movie. And like, I loved the, like that stuff was fun. It reminded me way too much of like some of the, the ship stuff reminded me too much of Star Wars. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it had a lot of that look to it, yeah. Like the sliding down the tube thing or um, the arm coming out with the eyeballs in in Jedi. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was kind of similar. So maybe an homage to those? I doubt it. ILM did do the effects, a lot of the effects for this movie. So, I mean, maybe they rehashed some stuff. Who knows? Uh, One funny part still with like the big mechanical spider thing, it patting down Ben and it pulls out from his back pocket a picture of... Lori and you get like a one of those whistles kind of thing right so it's like you get like a weird comical element with this stuff going on too so that's that wolfgang ends up falling through like a trap door and so now all three of them are separated and we kind of get just a shot of wolfgang he sees something and it intrigues him and we're like okay darren finds a weird room that kind of puts him into a trance he he takes a little seat whatever this thing is it puts images in his head and he saw a bunch of stuff he saw the dream again we really unfortunately didn't get nearly enough backstory or anything like they didn't dive into that machine yeah enough in my opinion that obviously when we're talking about it now and like we're kind of dissecting the film that's how these aliens have been putting dreams into people's heads it has to be like that machine somehow right even that they didn't really go over it or kind of like help explaining it like we had to kind of just figure it from context which is fine but it's not something that for for a kid's movie that is not something that was like too obvious (laughs) no no not at all us talking about it now kind of really helps me dissect it i'm kind of seeing like that's obviously how they control dreams and ben finds darren in this room somehow and he kind of snaps him out of his trance they continue to walk around and they run into an alien and it's a weird weird looking fucking green thing to me it looked i don't know it looked a little bit like slimer from ghostbusters (laughs) if slimer had legs yeah if slimer had legs and like a really kind of fucked up head with weird multiple antenna kind of things and ears that kind of thing probably the scene that i remember the most and something that is just it, it is very funny ben tells the alien something that he's been waiting to say all his life we come in peace and the alien responds and Watch up, Doc. <laughs> and I loved that. Like, it's just, and it's just funny. Like, the alien is really weird. It, it keeps responding in, like, other voices or other, like, TV shows or even, like, their own voices. Like, the very, very first time you see it that makes them kind of chase it down is it's, like, just making these weird noises and it kind of repeats what they say and it just looks really weird. But then it just kind of, like, it's repeating stuff from it that it saw on TV and stuff like that. It's a weird fucking alien. It has all these, like, antenna and stuff. We then cut to Wolfgang, who is talking to a female alien who looks very, very different, who's kind of pink and has big kind of, like, eyes that are very separated apart and really big puffy cheeks 
it's got a it's a weird scene though between Wolfgang and this alien where they're just kind of like talking and there's this sexual tension between yeah. the two of them. Yeah. The alien is like flirting with Wolfgang and he's flirting back like he is eating it up. He's loving it. I got the impression that Wolfgang has never had a, a girl give him that kind of attention before. No, but he loves it. Oh yeah. Like, obviously. Well, who wouldn't? Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially from an interdimensional being. Sure. We probably do need to mention though that uh, the alien, the girl alien was played by an actress who I think this was like one of her only roles. The other alien, the one that uh, Ethan Hawke and Darren meet. His name is Whack. We have Whack and Neek. Neek is the female alien and Whack is the male. And Whack was played by an actor named Robert Picardo, who was in a movie that we've mentioned already this episode that you want to cover. And he was in Inner Space. He plays the cowboy. That's right. Okay. And he also ties into the universe of the TV show we're about to talk about because he was in Star Trek. He was not in The Next Generation, but he was in Star Trek Voyager, and he plays the holographic okay. doctor okay. Uh, in there. And as he's he's also had a, a couple of other small ones, but I remember him more from Inner Space. That cowboy scene yes. is a very memorable scene. Like, it's not like a, you know, he doesn't like, he doesn't have a huge part in the film, but that scene, that cowboy scene is such like a, a memorable part. So that's cool. And he, I've met Robert Ricardo a couple of times. Very nice guy. Oh, from like, cause you go to like Star Trek conventions. Star and stuff Trek like conventions. That. Yes. As we mentioned, like particularly whack speaks in TV stuff and he's doing like all these voices. And this is really how they know of earth is really through their television and their movies and stuff like that and then we just kind of get a weird scene where he's like doing this entire comedy act yeah like for for like five minutes and it's probably one of the ones i remember the most is that this alien just doing this all these pop culture things and they end up singing the song all around the world i think it's amazed by little richard yeah Adam from the future here, a.k.a. Adam who's editing this episode right now. I did a little research and I realized though Little Richard originally did this song, and you can tell that by the style, the version that's actually in The Explorers is by Robert Palmer. And you can actually even find this music video that I think went out on MTV and whatnot back in the day. It is awful. It is so funny and bad. Anyway, just had to clear up that it's not Little Richard. It's actually Robert Palmer who did this version in The Explorers. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. The scene makes no damn sense. Yeah. They're just like entertaining these kids. Like it comes out of nowhere from from a movie from the first half that was like nothing but science and exploration and trying to figure out like this stuff. So now it's just like, oh, here's this comedy alien just doing a little, you know, comedy bit for you. Right. What the <laughs> fuck? I mean, it's awesome. As a kid, these were the scenes that I loved the most because they made me laugh. Right. But as an adult, I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. This doesn't fit with the entire tone of the rest of the movie. They try to explain it by saying like the only thing they know about humans is is what they're getting from our television waves and our radio waves, which are going out of space, which in itself makes sense. Yes. But you're right, the tone changes so much that it feels completely different from the rest of the movie. One thing I, d- I definitely got to mention is Whack, while he's doing all of his stuff, he has like, I guess these two-ish kind of set of antenna or maybe these two sets of ears. I don't know. One like are kind of like classic antenna and these other ones are like flapping like crazy on his head. If you remember, <laughs> a, they're just like going nuts. I still kind of laughed at that today. And I was just like, oh man, the design of the aliens is pretty fun. Like I liked the design of the aliens. 
So the aliens explain that they've never actually gone down to Earth because there are so many germs. Uh, and that's kind of why that big spider thing apparently like flashed them with light and sucked the germs with the little vacuum things. It, it cleansed them, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and then also because they're afraid from what the movies that they saw. They've seen what humans do to aliens and they kind of show all this footage of... Sci-fi movies. Of sci-fi movies. Yeah, people like killing aliens and stuff like that. Um, So you kind of get like that fear, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, as you kind of said. If you have no concept of what fiction is. Yeah, there's a very funny line in there when he's just kind of talking about because they've only watched TV. He mentions that he watched four episodes of Lassie before he figured out why the little hairy kid never spoke. (laughs) I thought thought that line was hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty funny. One of the better kind of ones that I think an adult would pick up on a little bit better than even a kid did. But now we have an even bigger ship that is now eating the big ship that they're on. And we're like, what the fuck's going on? The two aliens, Wack and Neek, are really freaked out. And they're saying it's space pirates, quote unquote. And Wack kind of wants to send the kids home right away. And he's like, come on, you gotta gotta get off. He's trying to rush them off. And then this massive alien comes in. Looks similar enough to whack and kind of Darren deciphers that oh wait these aren't space pirates it's their father yep. this big ass alien and whack and neek are just kids they're just kind of like playing they're trying to do their own little explore and have fun and whatnot and they're trying to make friends yeah yeah exactly in the suit of the father is also robert picardo okay so he played both the whack alien and the, the father alien okay but the voice of the father was not robert picardo we can't have an episode of the Blast from Our Past <laughs> podcast without talking about this guy. The voice was voiced by Frank Welker. Oh, that's awesome. Man, like, we're not, and, and I can guarantee you, we are not picking movies. We're not going through Frank Welker's entire IMDb and just picking those movies. No. We're just picking movies we want to watch, and it happens every, and every fucking one happens <laughs> to have him in it. Frank Welker is literally in everything. That makes a lot of sense because, as we've mentioned before, he does a lot of, like, animal sounds and, like, non-human stuff. Yes. And this alien doesn't speak normally i mean doesn't speak like a human would it's it's making a lot of funky sounds so that makes a lot of sense yes so they're trying to get the kids off the female alien neek gives ben a gem they kind of like swap things and and he he gives her a harmonica that she ends up eating which i thought was kind of funny (laughs) and she gives him like this gem thing there is no explanation about the gem what wax says about the gem is it's what dreams are made of okay we'll figure that out i guess so the kids head back down they leave on the thunder road the big alien ship takes off the kids kind of end up crashing back into the river at that exact same time lori wakes up and she happens to know exactly where they're at so some something about it maybe the aliens used the picture that they saw of her when they pulled it out of his back pocket of ben's back pocket and then they kind of like incorporated what was going on into their dream machine and sent her some dreams or something i don't really know why she was included into like these dreams on this last section why she dreamed about it and knew where they were i don't know who knows but that's my thinking is maybe whack and neek saw that picture of her and so they wanted to like i don't know they wanted to help ben get the girl i'm not sure it it really really didn't make any sense but anyway so she kind of like kind of sees them at the river here the boys swim out of the thunder road and they kind of like they're waiting on this dock the thunder road is just kind of like sinking into the water and i, I don't know why but i always really remembered that shot of of it sinking down into the water but yeah it's now 
done. They're kind of their adventure is over. We cut back to they're in class. Lori gives him a note and mentions about like, oh, hey, did you have a good trip? So obviously she saw, quote unquote, their trip, I guess, in her dream. Right. And the gem that Ben has starts to glow. And then all of a sudden we cut to the classroom is completely empty and the ship the Thunder Road is in the corner in the classroom for some reason. No fucking idea. <laughs> he then goes over to that and then we cut to a fucking shared dream. Everyone is flying at the fucking, you know, aerial shot flying dream. And now the girl is there as well as Darren and Wolfgang and Ben and Lori kiss while they fly. So he gets the girl. At least they tied that up. But it ends with them flying in the dream. That ending made no fucking sense. I didn't get it. I do want to add and I, and I skipped this. On, on accident when the kids are done and the ship is like sunk and they're kind of like walking back wolfgang says how can he love on earth because no girl is gonna match neek like <laughs> no girl is gonna be as good as the alien that he flirted with that was strange this movie it really really didn't make much sense to me and i wholeheartedly expected that i was gonna come in watch this movie and love it as an adult we watched uh, flight of the navigator i didn't love that one and I kind of expected almost not to love it. This one, I expected that there was going to be a lot more like adult things that I was going to get more off on this time. And I thought I was going to be like, oh, you know what? Explorers is going to be awesome. I I really went in with high hopes and those hopes were pretty much shattered. (laughs) I I did not enjoy the film. It was really slow at times. The first half was really slow. And then when it got into the other stuff with the aliens, it just didn't make much sense. They didn't explain much of anything. They didn't really help us figure things out. The tone was all off. There are certain moments that I love and I'll still love, like the ship itself. I'm a big fan of the moments of Whack being ridiculous. And like those scene of him singing, I remember loving because it made me so happy as a kid. As an adult, I thought it went on too long. Him singing went on way too fucking long. There are moments in this film that I love, but the film itself, I'm like, what the fuck? There was no point to the cop. There was no point to the bully. It was like, I don't know, maybe the editor took a fuck ton of acid and just was like, (laughs) hey man, I'm going to just do something crazy here. I I don't know. But if you said they had all that kind of stuff and then they cut it, I would rather have seen some more of a cohesive storyline because a lot of stuff was just lacking. Yeah, it, it just looks like they put way too much into the story than they probably should have to make, you know, a singular cohesive story. Admittedly, I went back and watched it again and was also kind of disappointed. Watching certain parts, I was like, wow, this was slow. There were some stuff I liked. I liked, you know, certain scenes. I liked the character Darren. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Hawke's character kind of annoyed the shit out of me in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, they really kind of lost me after the aliens were introduced. It got way too silly. And honestly, I had completely forgotten everything that happened after they left the alien ship and I was kind of like oh yeah this all this minor stuff happens yeah. and didn't really care about it yeah once they're off the ship like it's like that's done with the adventure having that extra little dream sequence at the end and that weird shit with the girl being now a part of it it didn't work it didn't work at least it tied in the love interest which when we talked about flight of the navigator that <laughs> never tied in but then i didn't do shit but then they didn't tie in the bullies like they did with the never-ending story yeah. like yeah. it doesn't come back where like the aliens come back and teach the bullies a lesson or something and that whole bully setup was uh, a waste yeah kind of yeah other than other than it's setting up darren that darren's a good guy yeah i don't know i wish they had just either done more with it or just taken that element out completely and just have darren be a friend at the from the beginning or some shit yeah yeah i agree explorers 
What a disappointment. <laughs> All right, and now we are going to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation, which ran from 1987 to 1994, seven seasons. This show is another one where uh, I'm going to talk about our father because our father was the one who introduced, at least I remember it being him who introduced this show to us. I would say yes, he introduced it to us. It wasn't one that he like pushed for me to watch. Like It's not one that like I loved to watch with him as a kid as I did like Blues Brothers or Billy Jack or something. Right. But this was one that if this was on TV, dad always had it on. Like it was in the background at his place a lot. Yes. <laughs> and that's how I remember it because I remember it was something that we watched because he was watching it Mm -hmm. back in those days the parents didn't give a shit what the kids wanted to watch (laughs) yeah this is a show that has some weird stuff in it honestly that's true yeah i i definitely would see it on all the time and this is one that you gravitated to a lot more than i did well i wouldn't say i was more into science fiction than you i might have been a little bit more into science fiction than you but i did really come to enjoy this series i'm not gonna dive too much into detail of a lot of the stuff that was behind the scenes because there are so many good documentaries and articles and the world of star trek is so prolific and so so well known I wouldn't even do it justice. We're just going to kind of talk about a few basic things and our impressions of it. I mean, as you've mentioned a couple times now, you've gone to like Star Trek conventions. Like you've gone and like seen LeVar Burton and Brent Spiner. You've met them in person, like at these conventions and stuff like that. This show, obviously, and unless I'm wrong, unless this was another one of the Star Trek shows, but I believe it was this show. It really helped you nerd out. Like this one, this one, helped, oh, like, yeah, yeah. this one, like really kind of had an impact on you that like the original Star Trek did. I don't know how you were about Voyager and Enterprise and that stuff. I feel like you're a next generation guy. I was totally a next generation guy. I do remember watching reruns of the original series, probably with our dad. This one was my series. I actually, when they came on, I didn't even really watch Deep Space Nine or Voyager. I definitely didn't watch Enterprise. But that one had Bacula. It had the back. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer to think of Scott Bacula as being from Quantum Leap. And I just leave him there. Yeah, for sure. This was definitely the one that I gravitated more to. And actually, I didn't even really watch Deep Space Nine or Voyager until much, much later. And by much, much later, I mean like only like five or six years ago. Okay. Where one summer, my wife and I went on a Netflix binge and watched all of Next Gen, all of Deep Space Nine, and all of Voyager, which I thoroughly enjoyed Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But Next Gen is the one I watched as a kid or I watched it whenever it was on TV. And that's the, the characters I just gravitated to, I knew the characters better and I gravitated to it more. So let's talk just a little background. Uh, anyone who's probably listening to the show at least knows a little bit about Star Trek because uh, you just can't avoid it. Very famously created by Gene Roddenberry in the 1960s, was very well known for having a diverse cast at a time when diversity was just not seen. Yeah, the first on-screen interracial kiss was between William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols, who played Ahura. Like, that's a very, very famous scene. Right. But anyway, let's talk next gen. The cast, very well known. I'm just going to run through the characters and the and the actors. Our captain, Jean-Luc Picard, played famously by Patrick Stewart. And then you have Jonathan Frakes as his uh, number two guy, Will Riker. LeVar Burton as Jody LaForge. Marina Sirtis as Counselor Troy. Brent Spiner as Data. Michael Dorn as 
Worf, and then so many other actors, Gates McFadden, Will Wheaton came out of this one. Well, not out of this one, because they obviously he had done Stand By Me before this. And then other other actors that, that came out of this called Meany, and famously Whoopi Goldberg, who was a huge star at the time. And this is at a time when if you were a movie actor, you didn't do TV. TV acting was sort of like, if you were a TV actor, you did TV and that was it. And if you were a movie actor, you were too good to do TV. Nowadays, content on television is so good that everyone does both. Mm-hmm. This is a sort of a very famous story, and I really don't need to rehash it, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's one of my favorite ones. So when Whoopi Goldberg found out that they were going to continue the story of Star Trek from LeVar Burton, who was very famously in Roots, um, and she knew him through acting circles and that sort of thing, when he she found out that he was going to be on it, she told him to tell Gene Rod that she wanted to be on it and she didn't hear from him for about a year and the sort of the first season came out and she went back and said well hey did you tell him she goes yeah i told him but they didn't believe me <laughs> and so she and her agents didn't want her to do it because she wasn't on like the first season or, or whatnot she was it like later later seasons that she got on she started on season two okay she arranged a meeting with uh, gene roddenberry and she went to meet him one of the first things he kind of says to her is why do you want to do this you know you're a big movie star she was one of the top comedians at the time she you know he asked her really why do you be on this and he she kind of told him listen you put a black woman on the screen in a role that was not a maid or some other kind of help she was an equal she goes before you there were no black people in space <laughs> i guess i don't believe this she goes says well it's true and so he says well let me think about it and so she goes home or whatever he calls her back later and he goes you're right there were no black people in space until we put Lieutenant Uhura there. There's really a lot of fun interviews that you can find on YouTube of her talking about this. And so she kind of eventually, she's like, well, do you, are you going to give me a part or what? And so he said, well, I've created a part for you. And he created the the role of Guinan, which is one of my favorite characters on there. Because she's kind of like, she's very mysterious. You don't know a lot about Guinan. Yeah. She's very old and very wise, but funny at the same time. Just always a fun character anytime she's on screen. There's very seldom anytime she's on screen where she's not fun to watch. The season itself, or the series itself, I should say, really didn't hit its stride until season three. That's sort of the universal feelings. There are good episodes in the first and second season, especially more the second season than the first one. The second season, you're introduced to one of the great television villains of all time, the Borg. Oh, yeah. So there's some really good things that do come out of that, but the series itself really hit its stride in season three and then all the way throughout to the end of, end of season seven. If you really want to know more about Star Trek Next Generation or Star Trek in general, I'm just going to rattle off a few things. Um, there's actually right now, specifically about Next Generation, there's a podcast called Star Trek The Next Conversation with Matt Myra and Andy Secunda, who are both writers on The Goldbergs. It's kind of an interesting thing because Matt Myra has seen all of He's a very big Star Trek nerd if you ever listen to the Nerdist podcast or, or any of the other stuff and Andrew Secunda has never seen the show and so they literally go episode by episode so the as of the time that Adam and I are recording this they were just finishing up season two and going into season three so if it's a show that you've actually never gotten into or it's a show you really love and you want to revisit it episode by episode I really recommend that podcast but there's also some really famous documentaries done um, there was a uh, one in the 90s late 90s called Trekkies oh yeah yeah I've seen that one they did a sequel called Trekkies 2 in, in uh, 2004. Um, in 2011, William Shatner put out a documentary called The Captains, where he kind of interviews all the captains from all the, the different starships and talks about Star Trek fandom. And then one that I saw recently, which was only from 2016, was one called the, For the Love of Spock. It was specifically focused on Leonard Nimoy. It was directed by his son. 
and I believe it was originally going to be just about the character, and then as they were filming it, Leonard Nimoy died, and so they revamped it to be about Leonard Nimoy and his life, and his life into Star Trek. And I know that doesn't really tie in specifically to The Next Generation, but you kind of can't talk about Star Trek without talking about all of the variations and iterations, and because they really all tie in together. There's so much information to find about Star Trek that it, it really would be redundant to talk about it here. So let's just kind of talk about this. Adam, having watched did you watch a few episodes yeah i watched uh, just two i watched just two okay so i watched one from season one and then one from season four okay and what was your th- what was your thoughts kind of going back to the series so yeah this show has been a huge part of pop culture or not just i mean star trek in general but this show as well i feel it has there are some cheesy graphics you know it's tv cheesy graphics but they were actually pretty good though yeah particularly i'm thinking of like the opening credits and like seeing the uh, enterprise like take off and, and that kind of stuff you mentioned before the music and the theme song and i really like the theme song still like it's a pretty like that opening of picard saying space the final frontier these are the voyages of the starship enterprise its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before. And then it going into the music. That opening, I think, is a pretty cool TV show opening. I like it. As for the production of the show, I mean, very similar to even the Star Trek, the original show, everything looked like a set to me. Absolutely <laughs> everything just screamed, oh, well, that's on a soundstage. That's that's a set. That's a set. Like, it just looked so much like a set. <laughs> that's because I, I maybe have a more of a production-minded eye than some people. There is a lot of cheese this this show is cheesy as fuck. There's a lot of those moments, but they do tackle some issues, which is kind of cool. You know, they, they, they actually like tackle some like real world kind of stuff, but they do it in like their own cheesy way and it works. At random times, you just hear them throw off random fucking sciencey terms that really don't mean shit, but it's just kind of fun because it's Star Trek and they're just saying, oh, that's a science word. I think that's kind of fun. <laughs> so they have all of that. The storylines... In this show, particularly this show, they get really weird after a while, really kind of convoluted. You introduce the holodeck where anything can happen on the holodeck and you get like episodes where they spend the entire episode in like a fucking in like the old west. But it's like it's the holodeck's old west. And it's just like a lot of shit doesn't make much sense. And a lot (laughs) of shit is really weird and cheesy. And Commander Riker, he's like a hornball. He's kind of like a he's like a sex crazed maniac, I think. I saw an episode where at the very beginning, he is like banging this alien chick and then the alien chick gives him like this headset game to play oh yeah yeah. The, uh, oh god i just watched that episode too yeah yeah that was one that i just watched for this show it's one where i specifically wanted to watch it because uh will wheaton's in it wesley crusher's in it right and i kind of wanted to see one with him and funny enough ashley judd is also in it yes. she's in like two episodes and this is one of them and so he brings this game back on board and it ends up kind of like everyone ends up playing it and it kind of like it's a mind control device and everyone but will wheaton 
Wheaton pretty much ends up playing this device, Will Wheaton and Ashley Judd, and they kind of have to save the day. But at the end of it, they all snap out of it. Data, who is an android, you know, isn't really affected. And so they kind of, uh, there's a, I don't want to go through the entire storyline of it, but no one, at the end of it, no one brings up that if Riker wasn't fucking this alien chick, <laughs> he wasn't just sleeping around all of space, this wouldn't have happened. And he wouldn't have had a breach of security. Like, do you think, I really think Picard should have taken him, uh, you know, to the side and be like, hey man, keep it in your fucking pants because we almost all died because of you. But no, like that, that, that wasn't the case. So, but uh, yeah, there's, there's silly shit. I actually definitely enjoyed watching it. Uh-huh. I, I could see myself going back and eventually like, you know, starting this one from the top and really watching it. It was weird to see in season one, Riker doesn't have his facial hair. Yeah. And then he gets it because like Jonathan Frakes, he has facial hair like he's either got a goatee or like a full beard always and like it's kind of weird to see him without it yeah but i did enjoy it i could see myself watching the show the entire thing i could never say enough good things about the show i really enjoy it i enjoyed the storylines i realized that the given the time and and the fact that it was television that a lot of the effects are cheesy and a lot of them a lot of them get recycled like they have the same lightning effect for tons of stuff but i really do enjoy the characters and i enjoy the stories and i'm just gonna leave it at that or else i'll end up ranting for a long time before we finish star trek john i've got a question for you hit me who would win in a fight picard or kirk in a fight, I think Kirk would win. I think Picard is the better captain. He's yeah, I, I agree. I like Picard better, but you know what? If they were doing a hand-to-hand fight, Kirk would probably probably beat his ass. You know, Kirk in his prime, you have he, he's got youth and just sort of that stubbornness. I hate to say it because I'm much bigger <laughs> fan of Picard than I am uh, Kirk, but in yeah. a fight, Kirk would win. But I, who is the better captain? Picard by a mile. Fuck it. Fuck Kirk. Picard's the coolest. <laughs> Agreed. JLP, baby for life. (laughs) This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by New Coke. There's never been a better taste. There's never been a better Coke. Introducing the greatest taste discovery in a hundred years. Introducing the new taste of Coca-Cola. A taste that is Coke and everything a Coke means. A taste that's very familiar, yet totally new. A taste so good, so real, it couldn't be anything but a Coke. The great new taste of Coke. Watch for it, try it, and enjoy the best tasting Coke ever. All right, and now we're going to do our casting portion, and I'm super excited about this one, mostly because I wanted to do it so much that I made my brother read not one, but three books in order to be able just to do this casting. And they weren't tiny. We're not talking like fucking The Babysitter's Club or The Hardy Boys or something small and easy. These were like 400 plus page books. Yes. And so they are the three books that are collectively known as the Thrawn Trilogy, sometimes referred to as the Zahn Trilogy, which isn't true anymore because Zahn has He's uh, written more, at yeah. least three or four other books in the Star Wars realm. But the three books in question are individually titled Heir to the Empire, which was released in 1991. Dark Force Rising, which was released in 92, and The Last Command, which was released in 93. And I'm not going to go over the story of it, uh, mostly because if you're listening to this and if you've never read it, I want you to go read it. It's worth the read. For someone who just finished it, if you're a Star Wars fan, particularly of the original trilogy, this builds off of that. It's not canon, but the story is really interesting. It's really cool, and it's definitely worth your time. Yeah. So it takes 
place about five years after the end of Return of the Jedi. Which puts us, like, that movie came out in 1983. Right. So that kind of puts us into the 1988. So we're going to cast it, and this is sort of our fir- one of our first unusual castings. We're actually going to cast it as if this was 1988, or the movie was going to be released in 1988. I really like this. We're expanding from the world of the original trilogy. Yes. So this would take place between the original trilogy and episode seven, which when Disney bought Star Wars and they took away all of the books as part of the canon, I completely dismissed everything that they were ever going to do ever again. (laughs) I hated the fact that they did that because so much hard work went into it and the stories in the books are really good. Now, if they came in and say, all right, we're going to use these books as source for our movies, I would have been fine with it, but no. And I I already mentioned before that I hated episode seven. I did just see episode eight and I enjoyed it, but... You're still bitter? <laughs> I'm still I'm still bitter about some of this. I had to completely, like, just go in saying, all right, there's nothing I can do about the shit things they did with my favorite characters, so... Which is weird, because a lot of people I knew loved Episode 7 and hated Episode 8, and I'm the complete opposite. I liked them both, honestly. I, I enjoyed both films. One thing that I did think was cool is... In the show Star Wars Rebels, which is an animated show and it is canon, they actually incorporated Thrawn into that show. I know. And those shows are set during like just after or around like the Clone Wars and, and after the Clone Wars kind of thing. They're set before like the original trilogies happened, obviously. I haven't seen Rebels. I, I watched the Clone Wars series and really liked it. But so this is set like I think right after that Clone Wars series. So it doesn't tie in to the timeline that these books have. But I do at least like that they somehow found a way to incorporate Grand Admiral Thrawn into quote-unquote new canon. I wish I could say I agreed with you, Adam, but I'm so pissed (laughs) at what they did that I wish they just left him alone. I really do. Okay. I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to appease because these books are so beloved by Star Wars fans. Yeah. They're probably the most well-known Star Wars books. Yeah, yeah. And so they're trying to appease because he is a cool character. He's a very cool character. So honestly, if you don't know the story, you're just going to have to go read it. I'm not even going to spoil that for you. If you have read the story, the characters that we're going to cast are ones outside of the normal cast. So we're imagining that our normal heroes, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, they're all played by the actors who played them in the original trilogy. So we are obviously going to do Grand Admiral Thrawn. We're going to do his Admiral or the one underneath him, Admiral Paleon or Paleon. I'm not really sure how you yeah, pronounce it. I'm, I'm really curious as how you're going to pronounce some of these names because like I had to, obviously as reading, you don't, you're, we're not listening to someone else say them in a movie or a TV show. Right. I had to pronounce them myself and so I'm very curious if you pronounced them how I pronounced them. <laughs> we'll find out. We're also going to do Mara Jade, Talon Card, Jedi Master Sabaoth, and the Nogri Rook. Okay, yeah, I definitely pronounce things differently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I pronounced the secondary admiral as Palon. I just pretty much said Palon. Mara Jade is easy. And I always said Talon Karda is how I always pronounced it. The one I had the most trouble with was the Jedi Master Jorith. I always said Sabath. That's how I pronounce it. But it's like C-B-O-A-T-H. It's be Kaboth, Koboath, Saboath, Sabath, Saboth. Right. I, I, it's fucking tough. And I always just, in my head, I always just did Sabath. I have to sort of explain. Not only have I read the books multiple times, I've listened to the audiobooks multiple times. Oh. And, and that's how he pronounces them in the books. And I'm just going to go on faith that they conversed with Timothy Zahn on how to correctly pronounce them. Damn it. So you're saying I'm wrong. Fuck it. I wanted to <laughs> shove it in your face. <laughs> 
Okay, that's fine. All right, again, this is our interesting one in that uh, we are casting this as if this was 1987, so we're going to be using the popular actors of that time. Exactly. So we are, like, casting, which means they're about to start filming. So if the movie comes out, quote-unquote, five years after Return of the Jedi, that would be 1988. So we are kind of setting our casting in 1987. So I want to work backwards because I want to end with our big guy. So we'll start with the little guy. We'll start with Rook, who's the the Nogri, sort of the alien. Yeah, and I always pronounce it Nagri, the not, but it's Nogri. Okay, all right. I'm okay with either pronunciation. Cool little sort of alien assassins. They're very small, very little alien ninjas. They have very needle teeth that they talk about all the time. Almost lizardy-ish skin, not exactly, but right. If you kind of remember the bounty hunter Bosk from, uh, I think he was in Return of the Jedi. They're they're not exactly that species. No, he was in Empire. He was in Empire. Okay, Bosk, who is kind of like that lizardy face. They're not exactly like that, but they're kind of semi-similar in my head is kind of how I how I took it. Taking building off what you said, Ewoks are to Wookiees as Nagri are to Bosk. Okay, cool. Because the Nagri are short, small, little... Yes, yeah, they're small. Take of that what you will. So, he's an alien. Obviously, they're assassins. They're silent. They're ninjas. They've got to have some martial arts-ish abilities. they got to be stealthy. I'm going to go ahead and jump in with mine. Obviously, this is 87, thinking 87 technology, so it's got to be a guy in a suit. And so I decided I was going to go with someone who is short. At least he was short in 1987 and really good at martial arts. I went with Ernie Reyes Jr. I really almost thought that as well because he's good at martial arts in a suit because he did some fighting stuff in the Donatello suit for the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, he did some stunt work. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think that makes a lot more sense than, than the pick that I did. They may or may not use his voice as the voice. Yeah, I, w- I would doubt it. I didn't really care one way or the other. I cared more about who was in the suit than I cared about who was doing the voice. Rook didn't talk very much. He was very, and, and right. he's kind of had very broken English. So like anything that he would have and being like that kind of alien, they would probably pitch it down and kind of like make it sound a little bit more alien or something. Right. They could just warp his voice a little. Or let's just have Frank Welker do the voice <laughs> and then Ernie Reyes Jr. do that. So that'd be perfect. That's a better call. And I should have fucking done that one. I went with an actor who's not big, who's not like tall, but he's a much bigger name. At that time, though, he didn't have any big movies out yet. In 1987 was when his first, like, quote-unquote, biggish movie came out, and that was Bloodsport. I went with Jean-Claude Van Damme, who I think you could probably still be a very badass version, but he's he's too big of a name yeah. for Rook, honestly. To me, he's still too tall. Probably. Ernie Reyes Jr. is the better choice. I'm going to concede, all right? I will concede to you on that one. Okay, now we're going to go with our older Jedi master, who turns out to be sort of the bad guy, Joris Sabao. I'll go ahead and hear your pick first. Okay. I had a tough time with this in general. This I, I did I did more like research into this entire casting than I think any of the other ones we've done before. Uh-huh. Mainly because I also had to like go back and look at how old everybody was in 1987 and be like, well, does this fit? Exactly. Does that not fit? And probably some of the people that I picked might be too young for it, but I really like my castings in general. I think I did some really, really good ones here. I'm really happy with them. I had a couple names that I threw out. One of them being 
being Burt Lancaster, Ooh. who I think would have been a pretty good call. He was yeah. in You and I, probably notably know him as Moonlight Graham from uh, Field of Dreams. That's yes. probably how we most know Burt Lancaster, but he was also in Gunfight at the OK Corral, From Here to Eternity. Like, he is a really great actor, and he would have been around 74 at this time. Okay. And I think that's probably a pretty good age, but I didn't go with him. Okay. And I'm really happy with my choice here. I went with someone who would eventually be cast as a different Dark Jedi Count Dooku. He would have been 65 in 1987, and I think that's a good enough age to play this big, strong, crazy fucking Dark Jedi. I went with Christopher Lee. That is a good call. Christopher Lee was already, I mean, he's a fantastic actor anyway, so. Count Dooku sucks balls as a character. He's absolutely <laughs> awful. He's good in the cartoons, actually. If you if you watch the Clone Wars and whatnot, he is much more interesting there, and they kind of fill him out. But in the movies, Count Dooku is atrocious and awful, and you don't want him there. But Christopher Lee is an amazing actor. Yeah. So I want to take Christopher Lee. I would have cast him in this much earlier, and he would have been a badass Joris Saboth, Saboth, whatever the fuck. All right. Yeah. So for my pick, I went with someone who was probably a he wasn't as old as uh, Christopher Lee would have been, but he was pretty close. He was in his mid to late 50s, and he's still alive today. But they probably could have made him to look up a little bit older than he was, but he was probably a bigger name than Christopher Lee was. I went with Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I saw, I, I thought of him, but I I don't know. He's so, he's so Scottish. <laughs> That I and I know Christopher Lee is just next door in England, but I don't know. That would have been a, that would have been interesting because when I think of Sean Connery in the '80s, I think of Last Crusade, and it's hard for me to imagine Sean Connery as the evil Jedi Master. I don't think so. I mean, he plays somewhat of a badass bad guy in The Rock, and that would have only been about eight years later. He was in The Untouchables in '87, yeah. and he was yeah. a, bit, a bit of a badass in, in oh, The yeah. Untouchables. So I don't think it's that much of a stretch. No. I'm, He's a badass, but I don't. It's hard for me to really see him as evil and crazy, and I don't think he could play crazy all that well. I guess he kind of did in The Rock just a little bit early on. I don't know. I like my pick better. I'm not gonna lie. I like my pick better, so we'll have to okay. <laughs> agree to disagree there. So now we go to Talon Card, one of our smugglers from the same realm, same vein as Han Solo, but a little bit more prolific. You just have to read the story to find out. I'll go ahead and tell you my choice for Talon Card. Talon Card has he's got some charisma to him. He's smooth under pressure. I always in my head he always had a little bit of an exotic look to him. Yeah, I could kind of see that. So I went with Ben Kingsley. Oh, interesting. I like Ben Kingsley as an actor. I actually thought of him for a different role. Ah. Yeah, I think that's like Ben Kingsley is a, is a good call. Yeah, he would have been around 44 at that time. I went with someone, I guess, who's not, who's, I mean, not really an exotic look, but he's kind of got a, a gruffisher kind of look. Okay. He's actually later on, I think in like maybe the 2000s or whenever this series was, he's been in space as I believe the leader of a different star crew, if you will, not Star Trek, but a different galactic crew. He was in... I think 1985 or whenever it came out, he was the teacher in Stand and Deliver. And that is Edward James Almost, who was in Battlestar Galactica. He would have been right around 40 at this time, which is younger than Harrison Ford was at this time. But I like him as an actor. He's got an exotic and ish enough look. Not really exotic, but he's got he's got a non white look. And I didn't want like another whitey for this role. (laughs) And so I yeah, I went with Edward James Almost. I think he could he could add charisma, but also be like, you know, to be a smuggler. You have to be kind of, you have to be hardened. And I think Edward James almost is is a little hardened. And I think that works well. 
All right. I like that pick. I don't like it any more or any less than my pick. <laughs> okay. I could take either one and be happy. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree with that one. I like Ben. It's hard for me to dislike Ben Kingsley in any role, maybe except for Iron Man 3. <laughs> you know what? I But I don't blame that on him. I blame that on the writing. No, you're right. It wasn't his fault. It was definitely the writing. Because he played the parts of the character that were good. He played well. All right. So uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit on my list. And actually, I'm going to jump to Admiral Pallion, who is uh, Thrawn's number two guy. He should be a little bit older. Not too much older because he's, he's a career military guy. But enough for him. He's kind of, kind of got some white going on in his hair. And this is in my head how I'm seeing okay. he's going to be. So I'll go ahead and jump to you. Uh, okay. I didn't make... Paleon all that much older. I I was close to doing that. Originally, I was like, should Thrawn be older or should Paleon be older? In my head, I was like, which one do I want older? I ultimately ended up making Thrawn just a little bit older, even though I don't you don't need that. Right. You can he can be younger and that's fine. So I was so close to casting Ian Holm, Ooh. Bilbo as yeah. Paleon, but I didn't end up going that route. I went with someone who you know who can kind of be in the background and be kind of quiet as needed. He's a really good actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I might know him best as Thunderbolt Ross from the Incredible Hulk movie. He was also in the Dune miniseries that came out in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's William Hurt. Oh, yeah. I think William Hurt would, could just be like, he's he was he would have been around 37 at this time. So he's not all that old. But I think as a budding admiral kind of like learning from Thrawn, I felt like he could really kind of sit in the back and do that and still like be what I need. So yeah, I went with William Hurt. Okay, I did go a little older. And I went with someone who actually appeared in episode seven. You only see him briefly at the beginning, but he's had a very storied career. It was almost a shame that his talents were wasted on such a small part on what I consider to be a crap Star Wars movie. <laughs> I went with Max von Sydow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know him best from Minority Report. Yes. But yeah, he's been in tons of stuff. Great actor. So I did skew a little bit older, and so that's who I picked for Paleon. Okay. Yeah, we definitely went different directions that way. Right. So let's jump to Mara Jade who, if anyone who's ever read the stories, eventually becomes Luke Skywalker's love interest. Yeah, Luke getting it on. So we need, I don't know, she's she's a redhead. So you could either go someone who was already a natural redhead, or in my mind, she had sort of like an unnatural red looking hair color because it's space and space. It's space, yeah. You don't you don't have to have a natural. I went with someone who does not have a a natural redhead, but she was a big actress at the time. She was very good looking in the eighties. She played Arnold Schwarzenegger's love interest in the movie Twins. Uh, Oh. I see you thought I was going one way and I went somewhere else. I thought you were going I thought you were going Sharon Stone. (laughs) Nope. I I went I thought you were going total recall. I went with someone named Kelly Preston. Yeah, uh, who eventually jumped into Scientology and yes. married John Travolta. Yes. But Kelly Preston is beautiful, absolutely stunning. I like that call. I really do. Yeah, I think that's a good call. She would have been around uh, 25-ish at the time. That fits in pretty well, because I always thought of Mara Jade as definitely younger than Luke. Yes. Uh, they didn't. They weren't the same. They were probably like 10-ish years apart or so, and Mark Hamill would have been 36 in 87. So that kind of fits really well with that call. Yeah. So I like that. Definitely a good choice. I went with another actress who's very well known for being beautiful in the 80s and early 90s. She has done a little bit of action, not much, but she you could see some of her action stuff in Batman Returns. She's not a natural redhead, but I think they could make it work. I went with Michelle Pfeiffer, who would have been 29 at the time. I think that is also a good call. Yeah. I have a little bit of a hard time seeing her as a redhead because she's got a very distinctive facial features, and but they probably could have made it work 
work in the 80s. And yeah. She's definitely a good actress, and she obviously can do some action-y stuff she did with uh, Catwoman and Batman Returns. So yeah, this is another one where I could have taken either one and yeah. be fine. I think so. I think, honestly, I think I like your pick just a little bit better. I, I think Kelly Preston is a little bit more of outside-the-box thinking, where mine was just like, oh, big 80s female, where Kelly Preston, I think, actually, I think that fits a little bit better, honestly. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but they're both both good. All right, and now we're to our big bad. I think one of the greatest characters to ever be not just created for the Star Trek, or Star Trek, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Fail. Fail. For the Star Wars universe, but for any universe. He's cool, calm, and collect, but he's also cold. Yeah. He's got that darkness to him. And so I wanted somebody who could do that, who could play calm and cold. Also, so Thrawn is not human. He's like maybe maybe half human, but he is fully blue. Like the character is like a light blue. He's got like dark, dark bluish black hair, and he's got these piercing, glowing red eyes that they keep talking about in the book. They're no pupil. It's just solid red. Yes. So what I think was important is you didn't have to have someone who had the exact look because they're going to be wearing blue and you'll make the look happen. You have to have someone exactly as you put it, who can be cold and calculating and menacing, but then also like super calm and collected at all times. Like you have to have someone who can do all of that demeanor. And that's what's important with this casting. This one I struggle with a lot because when the buzz about the Star Wars universe returning that they were going to be making episode seven, there's a lot of buzz on the internet about what they would do and if they would use the Thrawn trilogy because it was so well known. There was a sort of very famous picture that was photoshopped someone put around of Benedict Cumberbatch as Thrawn. And with his voice, I think he probably would have made the best Thrawn. But this is 1987. This is a different one. Yeah, he would have probably been like 10 at that time. (laughs) Exactly. As I was saying, I need someone who's cool, calm, and collect, but can also be cold. So I went with someone who played a character very much like that in the movie Wall Street. I went with Michael Douglas. Yeah, that's a good call. He he made my short list. I had four names, or actually five, because I included Ben Kingsley at one point. And Michael Douglas, I thought, he was actually the first name I wrote down. I didn't go with him but I, I think that's a good a good choice so who did you uh, pick so i went with uh for all of the reasons that you kind of talked about i went with an amazing actor in my opinion probably best known to us as doing a voice in the lion king as the evil scar but his acting is amazing i went with jeremy irons as my throng oh yeah oh i like that i think he could have that very calculating demeanor and like just i can imagine jeremy irons giving the orders no one else would think of because he knows his shit so well. Yeah. So that's that was my choice, Jeremy Irons. I really like that. I still like Michael Douglas too, but uh, I like Jeremy Irons. It's very, very out of the box thinking. I'm excited about that one. That was, I put a, a lot of work into just <laughs> getting these characters and then the research to figure out the time, like the age of everybody and all right. that kind of stuff. And, and now it's over. And now, and now the casting's <laughs> done. And it's like, okay, well, what do I do with my life now? But uh, I definitely enjoyed reading these books. I highly recommend them to everyone out there. Go read the Thrawn trilogy. Actually, a new Thrawn book just went out this year or last year. Last year. I think, but it's not it's not in that same kind of canon from before. I think it's a new it's it's into the new canon. No, no, no. I read it. It's still in his universe. Okay, okay, cool. But it's a prequel book. It's how Thrawn was introduced to the Empire. That's cool. I like that. I might I might have to read that one then. And notoriously, I hate prequel things. <laughs> I hate anything having to do with a prequel. I'd rather just have the story go forward. Admittedly, it is a very good book. Okay. It's a very good book and very good story and uh it doesn't really mess with 
existing canon or previous canon. So I recommend that. There's also another book, the Zon Duology. Oh, the the Hand of Thrawn. The Hand right? of Thrawn. Yeah, there are two books in that series. They're okay. They're not as good as the Thrawn trilogy. And I and I think so the new book. What are they about? Because they're they're not about Thrawn's hand who comes back alive and he goes like, what is the Hand of Thrawn? Is that you're just gonna have to read it to find out. Okay, fine. <laughs> I just imagine like just his blue hand comes back to life and wreaks havoc on the <laughs> on the universe. Uh, that's kind of what I'm imagining. Like thing from the Adams family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like thing. <laughs> All right. So that was our Thrawn eighty eight casting. Please join us next time for a double dose of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We review the 1990 film as well as the 1987 to 96 animated show, and we do a recasting of Fantastic Four into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blast past cast that's at blast past cast on both facebook and twitter so until next time i'm john and i'm adam and thanks for joining us see you next time